if you said the simple ones would be your wages, then all the boss gave her the teeth said, yeah. And if you said the street ones would be your wages, then all the boss wore street young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats made in the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up, thank you, and see that all the male goats made with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I've seen all the Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what, what was made for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padamaran. So go to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the river Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days, and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and see me? Why didn't you tell me so that I would send you away with joy and singing and the music of tambourines and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you longed to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants. They found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside a camel saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched, but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? he asked Laban. How have you, I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine, and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for twenty years now. Your sheep and goats have not been have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flock. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation: the heat consumed me in the daytime, the cold at night, and the sheep fled from my eyes. 
I was like this for 20 years. For 20 years, I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. You changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would have surely have said me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night you rebuked you. Laban and continued, The women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine, or about the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sabaduka, and Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, the heap is witness between you and me today. That is why it was called Gali. It was also called Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord keep watch between you and me. And when we are away from each other, if you ill-treat my daughters, or you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar. I set it up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you. And that you will not go past this seat and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear, in name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. <coughs> then he left and returned.
right? And so as Jacob is, is recounting, okay, so this, that instance that he's talking about, uh, you know, precedes, it's, it's probably 14 years after he's been there uh, working for Laban, right? So he's been there 14 years, you know, he has this, this dream, he works six more years, and it's the end of that, that Jacob is then telling Rachel Lydia, hey, here's what's going on, right? And, and, and why, uh, why we're leaving, you know? From the dream, two things are made very clear. Uh, God wants Jacob to look up and see uh, that all the male goats are made with the, the flock that are streaked, speckled, or spotted, right? So God gives him that, that detail of, hey, these are the flocks that are going to be yours. The ones that are streaked, speckled or slaughtered. And what else do they need to know? It's time to leave. Alright, we're going to leave. Right? And, and so Jacob has that understanding at the year, you know, 14 years there with the land. And then that begins, what we read about there in chapter 30, 25, uh, that's quite confusing. Alright? You have this scene here where, again, in Jacob's mind, he knows what's going to be his in the long run. So he goes to Laban, his father-in-law, uh, and, and you imagine the tumultuous relationship these two men have had. Not been positive, right? The whole wife switcheroo thing, uh, with not aggressive, you know, women help their relationship. Uh, they're both very shrewd men, and you see the negotiations begin to happen there, uh, you know, in, 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 in verse 27 of chapter 30. Um, and, and, and verse 32, right? He says, Let me go through all your flocks today, remove from them every speculative spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb, and every spotted and speckled goat. They will be my wages. So in the negotiations, Jacob thinks back to the dream, and he says, Hey, here, here's what I want as my wage. All right. uh, Laban hears that. Now, what kind of man is Laban? He is super shrewd. Right? Very, very shrewd. And so he hears, okay, well, that's what Jacob wants for his wages. And so what does he do? He pulls out every sheep that looks like that and takes it away from Jacob and gives it to his sons. Because Jacob, right, is being blessed by God. And Laban thinks, well, I'll give all my sheep and I'll leave them with Jacob. And so Laban's thinking his flocks, they're going to prosper under Jacob. Jacob's flock, all those are speckled and spotted, that he has been separated three days away, they're going to be entrusted to, to his sons, and they're not going to talk. And so what we see here is you have God's plan for Jacob, which he's made known, and he's made clear, and what is, what is Laban trying to do? He's trying to use that plan, or work within that plan, to better himself. To prosper himself. Not to work in harmony with God, but to serve himself. Right? Now imagine Jacob. I don't know if Jacob knew that would happen. Uh, I'm not sure if he had the forethought on that one. But nonetheless, he sees, okay, I've negotiated the wages, I've made that clear. And then hold on here. Where did all my sheep go? And so then what we see Jacob trying to do, right? We see Jacob taking two branches, and you're like, going on, you know, and basically he was, he was buying into the superstitions of his day that said, hey, if you put this in front of the animals while they're mating, then that image will kind of imprint on them, and then the offspring will then have that same tendency in themselves to be streaked or spotted. 
Ron was laughing at the correct response. It's superstition of his day. But again, what do we see here from Jacob? We, we see Jacob thinking, well, man, God's made this clear that this is his plan, but man, it seems like Laban has a leg up on him. It seems like Laban is going to thwart that plan. And so then Jacob thinks, well, let me, let me buy in the superstitions of my day to try to then thwart Laban's attempt to thwart God and rescue God. Right? And again, what we see here is these two men uh, jockeying as they've been doing since they met, trying to in some sense one up the other in order to manipulate the situation with their own game. Right? So, 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 so pause that for a second and look even further in our text. Because Rachel gets in on the same game. Okay, you got this super strange aside, and, and, you know, that they're finally, you know, they finally decide to leave. What does Rachel do? She goes and steals her father's household gods. That can't be a good idea, uh, you know, but nonetheless she goes and, and she steals these, uh, and, you know, and, and, and she thinks that by stealing these gods, as she goes on their journey, that they're going to be protected. Because those household gods are going to look after them. Right? Now the irony of, the, of that is, the reality is, a lot of commentators point this out, that if she hadn't stolen those gods, what labor would have bothered to chase after them? Probably not, because you know Laban didn't really seem to care about a whole lot else other than himself. And even as he goes there and he berates Jacob, what's the last thing he drops on? Why did you steal my gods? That seems to be the crux of the matter why Laban is upset and why he was hunting them down. Jacob had deceived them, and Rachel, you know, the kindred spirit, had also, in a sense, deceived him. But even Rachel's attempt to manipulate the situation and to give her family security was actually full as well. And it actually did the opposite effect. And of course, God in his sovereignty, what does he do then? Well, Rachel realizes Dad's tearing through all the stuff, and she has no other option that she can think of other than to sit on them and say she's on her period. Which is an interesting thing in terms of even the Old Testament understanding is that idea that if she was on her period, that would make her unclean. And so then by being unclean and sitting on these four gods, she is desecrating those gods. Now what is she trying to do? She's trying to save those gods and herself and her family. Now what's God doing? Using all her little clever attempts to manipulate, and he's actually desecrating this Alright? So we see this here, these interesting events that are happening within this text. Uh, and they all have a point. Alright? They do. They all have a point. Alright? Uh, you know, and, and, and even as Jacob, as he looks back on that time of him and Laban's uh, jockey, we see here in 31, 7, 9, he says to Rachel, Leah, your father has cheated me. By changing my wages ten times. Alright, so they had this agreement about sheep and goats. But even as that agreement went into force, and as season after season would go by, it seems to be what Laban kept doing is trying to change or move the goalposts to try to better himself. And so it shows that even, even Jacob's attempts with the whole peeled branches and forcing them to look at a, a street uh, ram, even that wasn't working because the rules kept changing. And yet, despite the fact that the rules kept changing, 
to say, however, there will be the verse 7, God has not allowed him to harm. If you said second one, second ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. If you said the street ones will be your wages, then all the flocks were street young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and given it to me. Whatever Laban tried to do, however he tried to manipulate the situation, and it had nothing to do even with what Jacob was trying to do and how he was trying to manipulate the situation, God's plan would be accomplished. God's plan would move forward. Ten times he tries to change it, and it's still God plowing forward with his plan. Alright, what's the point of the text? What's the point of the story? It's God is at work. And you know what? Fool-hearted lady cannot determine. Even superstitious grounded Jacob is not helping that. Even Rachel and her kind of cutting idea, she's not pushing it along. It's God that is in control. Amen. It is God that is at work. Can anyone stop it? No. Can anyone thwart it? No. Because God has a plan and He will accomplish. You know, when I was thinking about this and reading this text, I was super impressed with Jacob. Jacob at this point has not been the best character and the best example, but as he has that conversation with Rachel and Leah, in 31, 4 to 16, we see seven times, either by Jacob or by Rachel and Leah, God is there. You see, you see this shift. You see this kind of flicker beginning to grow in Jacob. As he realizes that the God of his father, he has in fact been with him. That God has not allowed them to harm him, though Laban was trying to harm him. That God has in fact taken from Laban and given to Jacob. That even God has spoken to him and revealed to him his will. That God of Bethel has in fact fulfilled the promises he made when Jacob had that grand vision of that ladder from heaven. And, and this reality that God has taken away everything that belonged to Rachel and Leah's father and given it to them. And then miraculously, at the end of that, 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 that speech there in, in 31, 4 to 16, these two sisters who, who, if you're with us two weeks ago, we talked about the war of the wounds. Or the birthing battle. These two sisters wrecked with envy with each other, vying for attention and love in, in, in the pursuit of having more kids to try to fulfill that. You know, these two sisters are all of a sudden on the same page. And, and, and they step back and they look at that 20 year period and they hear the, the reality of God calling Jacob out and their response is do whatever God has told you. Do whatever God has and they're going to have to leave their, their homeland, their, their, their extended family, and they're going to go. But they're willing to do it. Why? Because this faith has grown. This faith that God is in control. You know, even the, the reference there to God of Bethel, like I'm saying, is a, is a reminder not just to Jacob, but to us as the reader of that great vision that Jacob had. And that great vision was one of, of Jacob, you know, able to see. That, that heaven was open, God is there standing, and the angels are up and down, which is all about this idea that, hey, you know what, Jacob? You may not see it. You may not perceive it. But God is always at 
and his creation. And here we are, 20 years later, and, and the pity seems to drop for Jacob in that reality, right? The, the, the light bulb seems to flicker on. He, he begins to realize, you know what? That vision is true. God is at work. And he seems so convinced of it that it's not just himself that believes anymore, but even Rachel and Leah are beginning to believe this fact that God is with them. That God is with them. And even when they're actually doing things that are counterproductive to that plan, like Rachel. I mean, literally, Rachel thinks she's protecting the family by taking the gods. And you see in the text of Laban pursuing them, in the text with the, 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 the as it describes that pursuit, it's all military, military language from the Old Testament. He is in hot pursuit. Right? He, is, he is bent on destroying them. And it has nothing to do with themselves for stopping them. It was God intervening and warning Laban, don't mess with Jacob. And Laban even says, as he comes there to Jacob, he says, hey, I could, I could harm you. But I'm not. Because God has warned warned him. And all of this, all of this, this to and fro business in in his text is screaming out to us to step back and see the sovereignty of the God of worship. To learn what Jacob learned in that time. And no matter the circumstance or the season of life that you're going through. Whether it's good or whether it's bad like it was for Jacob. You know what? God is a And He is sovereign. And if that's true, as Paul says in Romans, if that's true, if God is for you, then who can be against you? Yourself included. Your own family included like Rachel. And that reality is tremendously grounding for our lives. If we will believe it. I mean, that text in Romans is phenomenal. Romans 8, 28-32, Paul writes, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us, how would he not also along with him graciously give us all? But it's a phenomenal passage, and we often read 28 and we stop there, right? This idea that, that, that God in all things works for the good of those who love Him. We see that in Jacob's history. I mean, 20 hard years of labor, and yet, you know what? God's good. God's still working in His life. And the second part about, you know, those who God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. You know, those who predestined, he called, those who called, he justified, those who justified, he glorified. I mean, it's taking every aspect of that process of salvation and saying, you know what? God has it covered. 
beginning to end. And that's why Paul poses that question after thinking about this. Man, if that's true, and if that's the reality, If you haven't picked that up yet, my 
study in Genesis, wake up. I mean, Genesis, the grand patriarchs, like we talked about two weeks ago, their origin stories are, are discouraging stories. I mean, it's going to go from bad to worse. I mean, Jacob saw us. Wait until the story's ahead what they're going to do. Lying to other people, tricking them with circumcision, and then slaying them. What are they going to do when they get the younger brother that kind of is a pre-finger of Jesus? They're going to sell him into slavery so that they can profit over him rather than kill him. I mean, they're highly dysfunctional. And yet, that's who God works through. Because God in his sovereignty knows that his people will always be messy. They'll always have issues. They'll always have problems. But those problems do not trump his sovereignty. Our mess does not circumvent or block or thwart his plan. He is always at work, and he will accomplish his will. Amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, what really turns Jacob is that he realizes God sees him. Because it's one thing to think that the God that we worship is sovereign, in control of all things, but we can still, with that grand sovereignty, feel irrelevant. We can feel forgotten. And there's so many things in this text that try to remind us that is not the case. You know, as Jacob retells the, the dream he had to Rachel and Leah, he has that part in verse 12 where he reminds himself and, and his wives what, what God has said. And God has said to them in, in, there in verse 12 that I have seen all that Laban has been doing to I mean, let that sentence sink in first. Jacob at that point is 14 years into hard labor. I mean, he'll detail it out later on to, to Laban himself, you know, as he talks about it. Right? He tells him. <coughs> Down there in 31, verse 38, I've been with you 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was sold by day and night. That's completely contrary to cultural norms. Right? Whose flock is it? It's Laban's. What is Jacob? He's basically his slave. And the idea that, that Jacob would have to replace the losses caused by wild animals to Laban's own flock, it's no surprise that he talks about how hard of a labor it was for him. He goes on in verse 40, this is my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, the cold at night. Sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years I was in your, in your household. I worked 40, 14 years for your daughters and 6 years for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. You think you've had a rough 20 years? Get some perspective from Jacob. It's been brutal. Brutal. Here's the one who, who all the promises given to his forefather Abraham hang on. And yet, as Jacob looked at the last two decades of his life, he did not look like the one whom all the promises rested on. He looked at the circumstances of his life and it seemed like man God had abandoned him. That God had left him. But in that moment, where God made clear to Jacob, you know what? I have seen 
Whether we're good or whether we're wicked, doesn't matter. He sees it all. Now the good news is, is when we walk the path of Jacob, 2 Chronicles 16.9 really begins to come alive before us. There it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. You know, when we first started looking at Jacob, you wouldn't use language like fully committed to God to describe Jacob. Cheating his brother, deceiving his father, seeking himself first. That's what Jacob is about. But here in this text, you see Jacob beginning to get stronger in his faith. You see him begin to get strengthened. It wasn't through good times. It wasn't because he was prospering. No, he was to a degree. But it was through difficult times of hardship. Decades of difficult, difficult times. But during those difficult times, this truth penetrated deeper into his heart. My God is sovereign, and he sees. And as Jacob begins to cling to God more and more, you see him getting stronger and stronger. As Jacob begins to trust a lot less in himself and his own ability to deceive and manipulate situations, his faith gets stronger, and as a result, God strengthens him. But this is like what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. That when we, with unveiled faces, meaning we take off the hypocrisy and the duplicity that so often plagues us spiritually, he says, hey, when we look at God with unveiled faces, then we're transformed. When we turn to him and see him as he sees us, that is when we are changed. I to you is to do that. To make decisions this week, to step back and acknowledge and look at the work of the sovereign God in your life. And know that even if all the circumstances say, you know what, doesn't look like God's doing it. He is. And He's at work. And you may not see it in this life, that is the reality. You might not see it until you look at your life from the vantage point of eternity. But you will see God's hand at work. And you'll see him accomplish this. And you'll see that he was keenly aware of the things going on in your life. And he was attempting to strengthen you as you would then turn and see him. And let's be a people who are like that second Chronicles 16. Let's be a people whose hearts are, are, are committed to him so that he can then strengthen us even more, which then enables us to do the journey to the promised land that lays before. Because it's a journey that's full of temptations and trials. It's a journey that's full of dangers and unexpected things that come our way that we need to cling to God to endure. Amen? Let's have a prayer and stand and sing one time soon. You know, Father, we thank you for Jacob. You know, in an odd way, we thank you for the 20 years of hard labor you put him through. We know that you are a loving Father that disciplines us as you do your children. And that that discipline, that hardship is actually confirmation of your love. And if we allow it to, to train us, that that harvest of righteousness will soon, soon after fall. And we thank you, Father, for, for the reminder of that, God. We pray that we leave here today more convinced than yourself. The, the, the faith that we cling to, God, that it can more shift onto you and away from our 
circumstances or even, you know, even, even away from our own faith. And be solely on you, Lord. We pray that as we as people, you know, look to you with, with unveiled faces, God, you do change us, you transform us. You help us to be different than the world around us, God. We can follow the path of Jacob and grow and mature in our walk with you. God, we know that without your son, none of that is possible. Thank you.